What is going on, Fantasy Fam? Welcome to the Week 11 edition of Plugged In. I am, I'm not really your host, I'm only your host insofar as I greet you on this, but I am your host, I'm your guest, with my co-host slash site owner slash guest, Scott Barrett. Scott, my man, it's been two weeks since we last hung out. How are you doing? I'm doing good. You sound way better. I listened to one of your shows at the end of last week. And oh my god! You, not, you, you were dying. Yeah, and you know what? I sent um, I sent a voice note to Aaron last Tuesday because I I couldn't do the Winter Circle podcast either. And then he like cut a clip of it and put it on Discord so people could hear what I sounded like. Because last Tuesday, I literally, it was like I I could whisper was my voice. I think I sent you a voice note too to be like, here's proof that I really can't do the show today. Um. But yeah, I, was, I, I still like as of this morning was a little bit sick. It's been almost two weeks, but feeling much better and uh, on the up and up. So there's that. Uh, how was the show last week and how was your week last week? Did the show miss me? Was there morning? Were there black flags uh, or was it just a celebration that I was not around? Well, that was a, that was a rough week for you to miss because you nailed basically everything uh, the week before. You, I, did, I did. I did. I did. Amazing. Except, you know, you didn't have Joe Mixon, which is the one thing you needed to have. And uh, I was kind of the same way. I have one lineup that didn't have Mixon, but would have finished like third or fourth among all non-Mixon teams. Uh, the show went well. We had Darren on from uh, Darren from Discord. And uh, he said, basically, yeah, I'm only playing four quarterbacks this week. Justin Fields, Tua, Mahomes, Josh Allen. And those were the, the top four highest scoring quarterbacks. Although this was a week where it was sort of fields or bust for tournaments. And then for my own lineups, I took a bye week. I finally took a bye week and I needed it so badly. And I was so grateful for, for having taken that bye week. Um, yeah. And there were some things I got right. Some things I got wrong. It was an interesting week. Uh, the community quote unquote community, uh, was like, Oh, this, this week stinks. This week is horrible. And I actually liked the week because like, sure, it was difficult to build lineups you really love, but everyone else had that same problem. And there was exactly. Like, yeah. A few players I liked. Yeah. That's one of the things that I, I like to talk about on those weeks is that if it's ugly for us, it's ugly for everyone. And so if we consider ourselves to be sharper DFS players in the field, that actually gives us an edge uh, over the field. I'm, I'm also really, I'm really glad to hear you took, that bye week, one of the easiest things when you're like, oh, I'm going to take a bye week is you get to Saturday and you get that that burst of confidence of like, oh, but I actually mm-hmm. do know everything on this slate. And then you end up playing. And what's so valuable, you know, you talked about two weeks ago, like of, of the non-mix and lineups, right? Like you and I were essentially the consolation prize winners of week eight. Was that week eight, week nine, where it was like out of all the rosters that didn't have mix in, we basically finished first place in a lot of our condos. I actually had a, um, I was first place in the hundred K spy until Kenneth Walker's long touchdown run at the like very end of that Seattle game on, uh, on week nine. Like that was how good my rosters were minus Mixon was. And I still almost got wow. a first place finish. Um, <clears throat> but you can kind of look at that and you're like, man, okay, like I played well, I didn't have this one guy. And one of the things you and I talked about that day was on, on Sunday of week nine was like, this is a player who does this every year, right? He underperforms, underperforms, underperforms and has a blow up game. And so you should have some exposure to him just in, in from a standpoint of like, hey, this guy can do this. Uh, but then to, like so much of DFS is that confidence of 
okay, I know that I'm on the right track. I know I can trust my decisions. I know I can pull the trigger on this. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And I'm comfortable being wrong because I know that it was good process. And so kind of having a week like that where you're like, oh, I actually finished near the top of all the non-mix and rosters and then taking the week off where again, like I said a couple weeks ago after my week off, like having a week off, it kind of gives you a lot of confidence because you you didn't have to put together the rosters and you can just be like, oh, I actually do know all of this stuff. Uh, and so I feel like that can really lead to um, like a really nice follow-up week or follow-up set of weeks, which granted this week is um, uglier even than last week, mostly because of DraftKings pricing getting super tight and then the slate being kind of ugly on top of that. But um, we'll get to that deeper into the show. But yeah, I mean, I think that that's, uh, it's so beneficial. And even for anybody playing, like uh, listening to this and you're like, oh yeah, I'm kind of in a, in a rut. Taking a week off is so valuable, but like taking a week off and still putting in the time to prep for the slate and then just not build rosters because it does give you kind of that boost of confidence. And honestly, there's one side where it's like, oh, but now I took a week off. I only have like X number of weeks left. But realistically, you can be playing lots of different slates. You can be playing the showdown slates. You can be playing flash drafts. You can be playing afternoon-only slates. So you can still get a lot of slates in in the last seven weeks or whatever would be left after you take that week off. You've got Thanksgiving slate coming up. Um, so, yeah, if you're in a rut, uh, taking a week off but still, like, putting in the time is super valuable. Um, so how did you do this week? Just from listening to the Squirrel show you did, uh, I have to imagine, even if you didn't smash, you had some – amazing calls that I, I believe you need to victory lap. Uh, you were driving the Jonathan Taylor bandwagon. And I was right there. I was, great... I had the pedal to the metal on that one. <laughs> you really did. And, and one thing, I don't know if you brought it up or not, but it's something I thought about seriously is when Jim Ursay decided to hire, to fire Frank Ray and hire Jeff Saturday, it came during that game uh, two weeks ago where he called up his buddy, Jeff, and he was like, Jeff, uh, our offensive line is broken. How do we fix it? Jeff Saturday went on a 30 minute monologue. They hung up the phone Ursay thought for an hour and he's like, Hey, do you want to be the head coach? And so like, you have to imagine like he had some, yeah, he had a good grasp on the situation. And then what did we see last week? Uh, the Colts ranked bottom three in PFF run blocking grade heading into the week. And then last week, it was their best week this entire season by pass block grade and second best by run block grade. Uh, they might have ranked first overall in like offensive line grade. Um, so, yeah, a big turnaround performance. And then no Naheem Hines, no Deion Jackson. Uh, they're, they, they said Matt Ryan would start, which, you know, oh, maybe they're actually trying to win games. They're not tanking. Like, of course, there were a million holes you can poke in it, like, Jonathan Taylor's maybe not healthy. He hasn't played well all year. The offensive line is broken. This team may or may not be trying to win games, but, you know, no one's going to play him, and you can make those upside arguments, and that's what you need to do in uh, NFL GPPs. Yeah, I think you described that perfectly. Like something where, where we can poke holes in an argument is what we want, right? Because – and even somebody like Squirrel who's who's like – he wins so many qualifiers where it's first place or nothing because he's so willing to embrace those plays that other people aren't, aren't on. And so when he was, when we were on the show and he was like, uh, I don't know about Jonathan Taylor. Like I was like, well, that even further solidifies that I want to play this play because if a guy like squirrel is even like uncomfortable doing it, then it's like, Oh, okay. Well then this is a guy, you know, we want to look for those signals. Like a lot of like guys like blender guys, like Sonic guys, like Cubs fan. One of the things that they do is listen to a lot of like public podcasts throughout the week, like Sirius XM, 
DFS podcast because then they can get a sense of like how the field is thinking, right? Like any places where we can find those signals where it's like, okay, this guy really will be low owned, then that's valuable for us. And yeah, it's, it's, we have to be willing to be wrong on things in order to be right when nobody else is on a play. And so um, the, you know, it's the same thing with Justin Fields, right? Like going out on a limb and saying like, I, two weeks ago, I was comparing playing Justin Fields like week in and week out to playing Josh Allen, his rookie year in 2018 down the stretch, right? Like you've got to go out on a limb and be willing to be wrong in order to say something like that in order to put Justin Fields on like all of your rosters and all your high dollar rosters and, and stuff like that. So yeah, the Jonathan Taylor one, what was interesting about that was we typically see a team have like an interim coach bounce, but usually that's because they hate the coach who's being fired. And like by all accounts, Colts players love, Frank Reich and love playing for him. But at the same time, you've got this new guy who's coming in, who's not coming in to be a tactician, who's coming in to be like a rah-rah guy and get the, get the troops fired up, right? Leadership, culture, that's what Jimmy Irsay was talking about. And so just to think like, well, how are they going to try to win this game? There is no backup running back. They're going to give Jonathan Taylor the ball. Uh, I actually got down, um, I put down one and a half units on, on the Jonathan Taylor over for 17 and a half carries as well. I didn't want to go like overboard and get, get, draw attention to myself on my uh, sports betting account and potentially get limited down the road, but uh, try to get some money down on the Jonathan Taylor over. Yeah. So I actually played on Yahoo last week and uh-huh. uh, Yahoo is interesting because Jonathan Taylor, his price tag was the equivalent of like 6k on DraftKings. So he was a little bit higher owned on there, but what was interesting about playing on Yahoo last week was uh, Justin Fields and Tua were the equivalent of like 8.2k on DraftKings. Uh, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes were the equivalent of about 10K on DraftKings. And Kenny Pickett was still the equivalent of 5K. So I had a ton of Kenny Pickett just because it was like, well, he's so cheap. that. And so my thing last week, same thing, right? It was like, okay, the only quarterbacks who make sense are Tua, Josh Allen, especially once we could get him at low ownership because of all the uncertainty around him. Tua, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, and Justin Fields. And then it was like, okay, if you're going to go cheaper, you have to go to a guy who can hit for a huge score. Uh, unfortunately the game environment didn't develop for Kenny Pickett to where like he was attacking from behind. He was more attacking from ahead. So the points didn't pile up, but yeah, I had kind of like a, uh, in fact, I actually was like negative 50% ROI, but it was, I was break even until like the last 10 minutes of the late games. And then a couple things happened and, and knocked me down. Um, thankfully finished at profit overall on the week between parlays and prop bets and, and my DFS play. But yeah, it was um, for me, it was, Fields, Tua, Mahomes, Josh Allen, and then a lot of Kenny Pickett because on Yahoo, just the way the pricing worked out, um, he was so much less expensive. But on, I think on DraftKings, like the, it was so clear like Fields and Tua were still underpriced and there were so few other good quarterback plays on the slate. It just made a lot of sense to go that direction. Um, and yeah, you know, it's it's been an interesting NFL season. We've seen good offenses like kind of fall apart. And you have these teams like the Rams where maybe like week four, week five, where you can sit there and be like, oh, well, they're going to turn it around. They're the Rams. They're Sean McVay. Like, we, we've seen year in and year out, whether Goff's the quarterback, Stafford's the quarterback, <clears throat> this team puts up points. And then eventually you have to be like, oh, okay, we have to change our perception of, of this team. The Cardinals have been, like, incapable of putting up points. The Rams have been incapable of putting up points. The Seahawks have had a good offense. The Lions have been kind of up and down but had a good offense. The Packers are incapable of putting up points. Um, and so, yeah, it's been an interesting year where we're – constantly adjusting the way we're seeing these teams based on things that we've known for years about these teams, Sean McVay, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson. Right. Um, And then we haven't really had a lot of other teams 
that have replaced those strong teams. So it's like the Rams are no longer a good offense to target. The Cardinals kind of up and down. The Packers are no longer a good offense to target. The Cowboys are a run-heavy offense now. And like as all of these offenses have disappointed, it's not like we've had a bunch of new offenses that have elevated. And it's like, oh, now these offenses have taken their place, right? Miami has, but that's really kind of it for the list of offenses that have ascended Miami, sometimes Seattle. Um, so yeah, it's made for a really interesting season where as pricing gets tighter and tighter, it's like, it's just going to keep lowering the the first place scores in tournaments because uh, pricing is getting tighter, but offenses aren't, aren't getting better. Right. And so, uh, yeah, it's been kind of a weird, a weird season and we're in a weird situation, like a weird point in the year right now where I'm excited to see what the next few weeks look like in terms of like where the edges are when pricing is getting this tight and, and no offenses are really that good. I, looking back on this week, I, I'm curious how I would have done. I, I don't think I would have profited. I, if you read the article and went in rank order, uh, you would have said I, I did really well this week. You know, I Justin Fields as the top quarterback play. Um, uh, Christian Kirk, DPJ as top three wide receiver plays. Although Saturday, I, I never do this, and I did it Saturday. I edited the article and I swapped Olave and Kirk. I don't know. I have no idea why. <laughs> uh, still so mad about it. Um, Running back, you know, I had Pierce as like the top cash play, but I, I was like, listen, he's not a GPP play for seven different reasons. And a lot of guys like that. But so I had Fields as the top play, but I said, I'm personally going the Darren route, which is like what he recommended is like equal exposure to Tua Allen. And just like looking back on that, I think that was super wrong. Like it was just the smash spot. Like if you read that blurb, it's just like, this is the worst defense against scrambling quarterbacks. They're also garbage against the pass. He uh, paces high, like he should just smash. And so I think that was wrong. I wouldn't have had commit, although I should have, because, you know, I'm always like, you know, if you're going to play a quarterback, always make sure you stack him with the tight end. It's just like free upside at these cheap prices uh, and things like that. But the thing that, that bothers me the most is two players I didn't talk about. One, I had Alan Lazard as the eighth best wide receiver play in the slate and not as a GPP play. I thought like you could consider him for cash and bad, bad call by me. But I like Christian Watson wasn't even on my radar. And I, I said maybe three months ago uh, on a podcast, Christian Watson's the kind of guy who it, keep in mind for DFS because there's going to be like two games in the second half of the season where after eight weeks of doing nothing, he drops 30 points. Like that's his upside, freak athlete, great deep threat, whatever. Wasn't even on my, on my radar, had this massive game. The other one, and I think this was a function of me taking the bye week, was I said on our show, Paris Campbell, if Matt Ryan were the quarterback, I would have 100% exposure. Uh, it's not just the volume he's seeing with Matt Ryan, but like slot wide receivers versus Raider, Raider, the Raiders. This is one of the best, and most profitable matchups I've seen in like seven years. Like just keep hammering that nonstop. Uh, and then they announced that Matt Ryan was the starting quarterback. I tweeted out, I'm like, you need 100% exposure, late swap him in every lineup. He's going to score 22 fantasy points. And then uh, someone tweeted at me as like, bro, the game's already started. And I'm, like, uh, <laughs> I'm just like totally like on my bye week right now. Uh, one other thing like that too, where, where someone asked me in Discord, what are the best 
DFS plays. And I was like, um, Arizona on DraftKings and then like Saints on FanDuel. And then the guy was like, yeah, I just disagree with that. Like, I'm just going to go Arizona on both. They're playing against John Walford. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I don't know, I don't know why I said that. And so the, the bye week did affect me. Good news is like, that's my only bye week. I'm, I'm done and hopefully batteries recharged. And, uh, but yeah, any, any more macro thoughts on, uh, you know, maybe things you didn't see, but you should have seen or. or yeah, I uh, actually have a number of things. So I, I love the Damon Pierce thing. And what's interesting, what, what, this is one of the reasons why, like, let's talk macro DFS theory is why it's so important to have a sense of what's unique about each slate. And if, by the way, if you're uh, watching this, you're a fantasy points subscriber, stay with fantasy points because it's awesome. Um, but sign up for OWS free. You get the angles email every week. And I basically break down like the macro view of the slate uh, and that hits your inbox every Thursday morning. It's free. It's part of OWS free. Um, but the, this last week, what was interesting is we, we've had so much talk this year about chalk hitting. And one of the things that I've focused on is, yeah, chalk's hitting because it's it's good chalk, right? We don't notice the times when bad chalk misses as much as we notice the times when good chalk hits. And so two weeks ago, one of the things that we talked about was there were six or seven like really good running back plays. And a lot of them were underpriced, right? There was Austin Eckler was a really good running back play two weeks ago. But also we had Kenneth Walker in the 6K range. We had Joe Mixon in the 6K range, Ramondre Stevenson in the 6K range. Tony Was Tony Pollard in the 6K range? Whatever it was. Like so many different running backs in that 6K range that were all really good plays. And so one, one of the things you have to recognize is if I'm fading these guys and going to somebody else, I would need all of them to miss, right? Like it doesn't help if two of these guys miss because all of these guys are going to be high owned. And so if two or three of these guys do hit and you don't have them, now you're still chasing the people who rostered those guys. And so when there's good chalk, we want to side with that good chalk because especially when there's like a plethora of good chalk there, you can only roster up to three running backs. But there's like six or seven good running back plays. Well, you've got to play some of those guys. Otherwise you're just going to fall behind the field because they're not all going to miss. Last week, what was so interesting was it was one of those weeks that I often bring up where like chalk forms, no matter what. And when you can find these weeks where chalk is chalk, just because chalk becomes chalk where it's a guy who would be overlooked on a different week. So I brought up a lot last week, the Damon Pierce, if it had been the week before when we had Kenneth Walker and we had Joe Mixon, we had Ramondre Stevenson, we had all these guys in the 6K range, nobody would have been playing Damon Pierce that week, right? At 6.3K or whatever he was. Everybody would have been avoiding him. So that's the kind of chalk that you want to just stay far away from in tournaments. That's not to say that he can't hit. It's just to say that like his chances of hitting are a lot lower than the typical chalk. And same thing last week with Greg Dolchich or Dulcich or however we're saying his name, like totally fine play on paper. Right. But if he's going to be 20% owned, it's easy to say, okay, well, if this guy were low owned, then that's a guy I might want to go to. If this guy's going to be on all these rosters. Let me just hope that this chalk misses. Be aware that it can hit, but this is the place where you can find your edges. So the, I th- thought that was super sharp on your end about the Damon Pierce thing. Like you play him so, in cash and avoid him. Go ahead. Yeah. So just, just on Dulcich. I got to blow my nose anyway. I'm getting off screen. All right. So I, I love, I love the Dulcich play just because he was averaging two deep targets per game over his prior two games, Russell Wilson. We know that's his calling card and bread and butter. And I saw all this hype for Foster Moreau and Harrison Bryant. And I'm like, yeah, but like Dulcich has like the incomparable upside based on this use. So that one really killed me. Damian Pierce, um, 
I thought I thought that was bad chalk on multiple levels. So it was what you said, like, listen, the chalk we've been getting at the running back position has been amazing. Pierce is like a good play. He's not amazing. And so I said the exact same thing in the live stream, which I just took from you the prior two weeks, because you've been saying that for a while, uh, or to be cognizant of that. Uh, but it also didn't work because he has one game over 20.3 DraftKings fantasy points all year. And then just like as a giant, he's game script dependent. And then as a Giants fan, uh, they're bad against the run on the whole, like they rank second worst in yards per carry. But when they face these like teams that run their offense through the running back, they sell out to stop the run. They have Jihad Ward playing significantly more snaps and he's really good against the run. And so they shut down Derrick Henry. They shut down Khalil Herbert when David Montgomery was out. They shut down Aaron Jones, Kenneth Walker, and now Pierce. All those running backs uh, fell under 12.5 fantasy points, 3.85 combined yards per carry. So like, it just looked to me like bad shock on, on every single level. And there were a few guys like that this past week. That, but that's what happens when, you know, pricing is so tight. It, it kind of forces you into. Yeah. Yeah, that was what was interesting was it was it was like if you wanted to reach the high price wide receivers last week, you had to almost had to play Pierce, right? He was going to be like forced into your build if you're hand building, if you're using an optimizer, because it's like, well, where else are you going to go where you can project the touches and you can project the usage, you can project the uh, fantasy scoring. And so you almost had to go to the place where you couldn't project it, right? And so like that was why like anybody who played Jeff Wilson last week or even Raheem Mostert, right? But even just uh, anybody who played Khalil Herbert, even though it didn't work out, Khalil Herbert was great leverage off of Justin Fields. He could break some long runs. He could score touchdowns. Uh, And so finding these guys like below 6K where it was like, yeah, these are lesser plays on paper, but this allows me to get up to these high-priced wide receivers. This allows me to do something different with my roster. Uh, It was just a great GPP week last week. And, and, um, like more so than some other weeks because the quarterbacks, the quarterback was very clear. It was like, Hey, these are the best guys. And, you know, you said that about fields like, Oh, I should, I, I would have probably split, split my exposure among these guys and I should have just gone hundred percent fields. But really like we can also draw up the picture of fields going for 23 points. You know, if, if he, and if, if that game doesn't stay close, basically he ends up scoring like 22, 23 points, even though it's a great matchup. Um, and so, like, I, I feel like even splitting up the exposure was a totally fine way to go if you'd gone that way. And um, But, yeah, it was just a, it was a really nice GPP week. Uh, I do want to hit on some of these, like, sort of situations that we saw last week um, and kind of talk individual teams, individual players. Uh, one spot is Rashad White taking over this uh, running back role in Tampa, got the start, got more touches, more yards before Leonard Fournette got hurt. Uh, any thoughts on that spot? Yeah, uh, Jeremy Fowler tweeted out the day before uh, that he, the team loves him. They're going to get force him into a larger role. They're really excited about it. They need to shake up this running game. Um, and then Leonard Fournette also got hurt during the game. And then today, Greg Allman, their best beat writer, said he thinks he's going to remain the starter. Uh, it, it depends on how much of a committee this is. Uh, Cause we could just be like, you know, a 55, 45 committee where they're cannibalizing each other's production and it's not worth getting excited about, but they could just say, Hey, it's the, if he does well and uh, continues to see an increase in usage, he could be a bell cap. Like we've seen 
how valuable that role can be. You know, granted, this isn't the same uh, hyper-productive Tampa Bay offense. I would have liked to see more passing down usage like that was. But um, during the post-draft presser, uh, the vibe I got was, okay, it's the Lenny's show for 2023, but then this guy is a full-on bell cow in 2024. They were like a, a, a three-down running back who's great as a ball carrier, who can pass block and is just as good, if not better, as a pass catcher. That's rare, and that's something we covet more than any other team. We, we really value that skill set, and Rashad White has it for days. Uh, I really like Rashad White. He, he popped in all of my prospect model stuff. He's a high-end athlete, uh, ridiculously talented pass catcher. So I, I, see, I see big upside, especially for a quarterback who historically targets running backs more than maybe any other quarterback in NFL history minus Drew Brees. Yeah, it seemed like the – it seemed like Lenny is a Tom Brady decision. And it seemed yeah. like Brady's always talking about how much he likes Leonard Fournette and how important Leonard Fournette is to the offense. And it's crazy because you watch Leonard Fournette and you're like, oh, could I beat this guy in a race? Like, is there anybody <laughs> slower than this guy in the NFL? Yeah. And he's like, he's plotting. He doesn't have quickness. He doesn't have twitch. Um, but he, you know, and, and really, he's not even a Brady type guy in that, oh, he just comes to like lunch pail guy, comes to work, does his job. Like half the time Fournette seems disinterested but he's been able to fill in this role and, and it was like Fournette or Ronald Jones for a while. Right. So Brady kind of fell in love with Fournette. Uh, so I was excited to see Rashad white kind of get those touches. And I, I'm always looking for those situations where the split starts small, but it could start moving bigger and bigger throughout the season. Um, another one that was interesting this last week was uh, Jalen Warren. Obviously there was talk throughout the week about like Najee Harris was going to like get his role cut into and then it was weird as we were getting closer to Sunday where Warren had said that he hadn't seen any more first team reps in practice that week. Um, and Matt Canada, uh, Steelers offensive coordinator, came out and said that Najee Harris like looked like he was ready to turn a corner. So Najee Harris still got a lot of touches and Jalen Warren got a lot of touches, but it was a kind of a rare game where the Steelers controlled things start to finish. Uh, so any thoughts on that? Do you think that's something where Warren's role will grow or do you think this is just like a, an unusable backfield for now? Um, yeah, also Mark Abali, their best beat writer, like as soon as that was happening was just like, this is BS. Where did this come from? Uh, and so that made me more confident. Najee, he, he had a great game, but like we did see a closer committee split. Uh, I thought, you know, I, I guess I have to go, go back and look at, you know, if there were any garbage time splits or anything like that. But uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm not bullish because I don't see Najee getting that rare 95% snap share role he had last season. And this is also a gross offense with a putrid offensive line, a bad offensive play caller, a quarterback who can't get first downs. Uh, I, you know, the price can keep dropping, but um, this doesn't look to me like, like someone I'm excited to play. What do you think? Well, and that's one of the crazy things is we're getting to this point where the running backs who are worth playing are all seven K and above. And so we almost have to be willing to go to these split backfields. But then, like, I'd rather go David Montgomery or Khalil Herbert in a split backfield than Najee Harris, right? Because Najee Harris, like, his value has always been that, that he gets a lot of touches. And with those touches, just points pile up. Um, whereas a guy like Khalil Herbert in particular, we know that he can break off a 50, 60-yard run and, you know, pick up some of those points for you, right? If he gets a 60-yard touchdown run, that's 12 points. And Najee Harris might not be able to crack that in a whole game of like 
15 plus touches. And yet these split backfields have to be something that we're a little bit more willing to go to. Cause I think that so many, what, what's going to happen is people are so used to finding certainty at the running back position that what they're going to do is they're going to keep paying up at running back and then taking on their uncertainty at wide receiver, right? Because wide receiver is more volatile anyway. So then they can feel comfortable like, Hey, maybe this 5k guy can outscore the 9k guys. And, and that is like on paper by the book, that's the best way to build rosters. That's the optimal way to build rosters. But in tournaments, we have to sometimes go a little bit less than optimal to do something different than the field to find that path to first place. And so I, I, it's one of these weird situations where finding some of these split backfields where it's like, yeah, but there is upside here. And then that allows us to get to some lower owned high cost wide receivers or, or get two of these high cost wide receivers where other people are getting one. Uh, I think that that makes it a little bit interesting to dig into these spots. You know, like one of the spots, another one of the spots is the Packers. Um, the uh, you know, I've, I've had a ton of success this year doing second half parlays on underdog uh, and taking like three players from one game in a second half parlay. Cause you have so much information about the game to that point already. And uh, Aaron Rodgers' second half parlay was 17 and a half pass attempts. And it was just like, I, I went like two of my normal units on that one because it was like, okay, there's no way that Aaron Rodgers is going to be asked to throw the ball 17 and a half times. This team is just saying like, Hey, we can win on the ground. Right. And that game went into overtime and he still didn't pass those 17 and a half like post halftime pass attempts. Uh, so that's another one that's interesting to me is uh, this backfield where it's almost like we've seen teams do this against the bills, right. Where they're like, we're not even going to try to pass. We'll just run the ball. And it's almost like the Packers are treating every game like they're playing the bills. And they're just like, okay, we don't have weapons. We're not going to pass. We're just going to run the ball. Uh, they're on Thursday night this week. So we get a little bit more information before they're on the main slate. Again, we get to see if they start utilizing Christian Watson a little bit more. Uh, I love what you said about Christian Watson even though you, you didn't have him written up this last week. It's funny. I, he was a guy who, when I was looking at value, I came across his name several times and I was like, man, he could hit. And I was like, nah, like <laughs> I'm not bringing up that guy. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's like, it almost feels like this offense is going to like, literally they're going to be in position where it's like 35 touches between Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon um, moving forward. Any thoughts on that one? Again, just saying like, Hey, if these guys are priced in the six K range, even though they're splitting the work, like we need to be able to find some cheaper running backs who can go for ceiling. Any thoughts on those guys? Uh, yeah, Aaron Jones, like I, I'm pretty bullish on, uh, not only is he significantly better than AJ Dillon, like what are we doing here? Why, why is AJ Dillon still eating into his workload? Uh, but he's like one of the best, most efficient running backs in fantasy for the last five years, but also this year. Um, it's re it's one of these things where, okay, so his, positional XFP market share isn't that high. It's like 65%, let's say, but the team percentage of the team's XFP is very high because they just like run the offense through the running backs uh, that it can come out to, to be like a high amount of expected fantasy points and then really good efficiency on that because we know he's good. Uh, but it's also like in recent weeks, we've seen him get more and more work. Uh, I think, he started out week one with like 45% of the work and then 48% and 53 and a couple of games the past five weeks, he's been over 80%. I'll have to check and see where he was at last week. Uh, but just like fundamentally, I, I think it is right. It's like, you can go chalkier running back. It's, it's pretty predictive and it's been insanely predictive this year. And this year, I think one of the holes in my game is not being more bullish about these 
super cheap wide receivers. Like this week, it was Christian Watson, uh, Nick Westbrook, Akina, uh, Paris Campbell, Donovan Peoples-Jones. Uh, I think there was another one in there. It's just like tough to play these guys or get excited about them. But I mean, asymmetric upside that you're not going to find at the running back position. You're probably not going to find it at the tight end position. You're just, you know, praying for a two touchdown game. We had some of that last week and the week before, but that's typically pretty rare. Um, and then quarterback has been like just as predicted. Like I've had the, the number one, like that's like the most important for tournaments we're seeing this year where it's like the top scoring quarterback of the week is in 90% of the top 100 lineups in the Millie maker. And th- that guy has been in my pool like every single week. Yeah. And, and these, uh, one another thing we see is these like high priced quarterbacks are really underpriced, you know, like in right. terms of their point per dollar production and yeah, you bring up those cheap wide receivers. I've started including that in the, in the player grid each week, which is my player pool in the scroll is just like a, a header of cheap wide receivers with upside because we're in that point in the season where pricing's tight enough. Like if you, if you ask the, an optimizer to put in the optimal lineup for you, what it's like last week, it was Damon Pierce, Derek Henry or Saquon Barkley, uh, Tyree Kill and then a cheap wide receiver. Like every time that you ran the opto, it was forcing in a cheap wide receiver because it was like, hey, look, we can't project the points on these guys, but we can project the points on all these high-priced guys. And we know that this guy can have upside and can allow you to access these high-priced guys. And so the Donovan Peoples-Joneses, the Paris Campbells, it's funny, um, Paris Campbell is a guy I've been driving the bandwagon on for like three years now. And it, I, I mean, I still, every year I take like 50% of him in best ball. So that's been nice this year. But uh, finally, like after week three of this year, I was finally like, you know what, I'm done with, with Paris Campbell. And now, you know, each of his last three games with Matt Ryan, he's just like hit, hit, hit. Um, but yeah, finding the, like that willingness to say, and we've talked about this on the show, but like the Tyquan Thorntons or the, the Donovan Peoples-Joneses, the guys who are just on the field all the time. And so even though their role isn't what you want, like it's better to go there, better on paper, better by projections to go there than to go to like a bunch of 5K wide receivers. Because realistically, these cheaper guys, like the price tags are arbitrary. You know, like these cheaper guys can still hit for 20 points. They're just going to hit for 20 points less often than the 5K guys. But if it allows you to get Tyree Kill, if it allows you to get Stephon Diggs, Justin Jefferson, whatever, um, you get a big edge there. I was actually surprised at Justin Jefferson's low ownership this last week i thought that was an interesting one uh, you were surprised you're the you're the one who hammers avoid receivers oh yeah don't play, don't play don't play yeah i broke that rule this last week i had i had like 20 percent justin jefferson this last that's week that's amazing uh and i had him i had justin jefferson and gabe davis justin jefferson and stefan diggs justin jefferson naked um yeah i, I mean it was, davis it, was a great play he seemed like waddle to me who was already like too low owned but with more upside yeah, somebody, one of the guys in our, it was Hilo or Mike likened Gabe Davis to Will Fuller. Like, like Gabe Davis right, is the new Will ball. Fuller. In that, in that he's going to miss hard when he misses, but he can hit for such a high ceiling that when he's low owned. And, and what was great this last week was all the uncertainty around who would be playing quarterback. And so just nobody was thinking about, about Gabe Davis. He didn't hit big, but it was still, I mean, it was nice to see him get some production. And um, he's kind of one of those guys who can always – like be a difference maker in tournaments. And and he's in that price range where he kind of opens up some other stuff. He's not cheap, but he opens up some other stuff. Um, Waddle's kind of the same way, like opens up some other stuff, 
comes in with low ownership, can break the slate. Uh, and those are guys that we want to be uh, looking at for sure. Okay, another – Gabe was uh, seven yards short of 25 DraftKings fantasy points. He had a good game. Um, yeah. I wanted to commend you on one more thing. Uh, I just like, blatantly stole this for you, but I was really trying to poke holes in the chalk, and uh, I, I was not on Derrick Henry for tournaments um, in part because, like, okay, Denver's a run-funnel defense on paper, but, like, this is already a run-funnel offense – they're still like not really bad against the run, uh, but it was more so this, which I just blatantly stole from you. Since he entered the league in 2016, he has 15 career games with 29 DraftKings fantasy points. That's two less than Alvin Kamara, two more than Dalvin Cook, despite having a 14 or 30 game advantage. And then a whopping eight of those 15 games have only come against two teams, the Texans and, Jacksonville. and the Jaguars. And this matchup is favorable, but it wasn't 2019 and 2021 Jaguars tech. What a, what an amazing staff from you. So I, I, I have to out myself for stealing that, but I mean, yeah, once you like, you have to, once you uh, consider his upside, which is like what you really need to be focusing in on within that context, it's like, yeah, this is not a good play. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's one of those things where, and I fell in, I even played some of him this last week, even though I didn't like the play. It was a weird thing playing on Yahoo because the pricing, like guys like Jonathan Taylor were cheap. Michael Pittman was the equivalent of 3.5 K in DraftKings salary. Um, so I ended up on some of these cheaper guys who open up a lot. And then it's like, well, where do I spend this salary? You know? And, and so I mixed in some Derrick Henry. I mixed in some, um, who else was it? There was another high price wide receiver. I didn't really love that I mixed in, but mostly I was focused on Saquon, focused on Diggs, focused on Jefferson. Um, but yeah, the the to just play this guy because what was great is he was popping in the optimizers too. So he's like, he's going to be popular because so many people are just like, okay, well, I play NBA every day. I come in on Saturday. Okay, the optimizer says this. Let me set my rules. Let me change a few things. Um, but it's like, what's his ceiling really in a, we know that the Titans are going to run the ball. The opposing defense knows that they're going to run the ball. So even though this, the, the Broncos are, way better against the pass than against the run. What are the Broncos going to think about all week? They're going to be like, well, all we got to do is stop Derrick Henry. Let's sell out to stop Derrick Henry. Uh, and yeah, like, like you brought up, I mean, most of his, our perception of him has been built around these games against the Texans, these games against the Jags and not to say he can't hit in other spots, but he rarely does. And these like 50 pointers or 48 pointers or 42 pointers, whatever, like they've almost all come against those two teams. It's just, it's just not the type of thing that he does in tough matches because he's a yardage and touchdown back. It would be really difficult to go for 200 plus rushing yards and three rushing touchdowns against like a non-bad defense. It just, it just doesn't happen in the NFL. Um, Okay. One other spot I wanted to bring up to you, the 49ers. Um, I almost feel like we should have seen this coming, right? Like Mm -hmm. Elijah Mitchell's really good. Maybe, maybe maybe we, maybe like the general public shouldn't have seen it coming because I don't think the general public values Elijah Mitchell. And that's part of the perception of like the perception of him was here's this low draft pick who came in and had a really good season last year, but then he was also hurt some. And so people kind of looked at it as like, oh, this fluky thing, right? We were able to get him in the fifth, sixth round of best ball drafts this year. Um, nobody played him week one when I was like super heavy on him. He got hurt that week and then hasn't been back. But uh, I feel like we should have seen this coming that like, oh, the 49ers actually really like Elijah Mitchell. Why not keep Christian McCaffrey's body healthy and use both of these guys. Um, but we're in a really interesting situation. Like Christian McCaffrey's price is going to come down slowly. That's how this happens. And so now he's going to be this high-priced guy in a split backfield. 
Um, we don't know anything yet, but given what we do, like given the context clues that we have, what we know about Kyle Shanahan, uh, what we saw this last week, do you think that that's going to be something where, oh, next week Christian McCaffrey gets 80% of the snaps? Or do you think this is something that we have to be wary of moving forward uh, in DFS? The, the Kyle Shanahan offense is all about the scheme, all about this outside zone scheme that his father ran successfully for decades. And Kyle is just continually spending high draft capital on running backs. These guys stink. And instead, like these random UDFAs are the ones crushing in this outside zone scheme. Christian McCaffrey is not good at outside zone historically. Looking at his, his numbers, his yards per carry is like, 3.5 outside zone, 5.8 man, right? So like I was worried about this fit. Elijah Mitchell, we know, is really good at outside zone. The good thing about Christian McCaffrey is when he was coming out, if he was like, I refuse to play running back, I'm a slot wide receiver, he would have went at the in late round one. Like he he has that. That's more valuable. He was also getting all the near end zone looks, which carries outside of the red zone or borderline worthless. Saquon Barkley had 35 uh, carries last week. Christian McCaffrey still had significantly more XFP. So there is a really good chance that CMC is just vintage Austin Eckler, vintage Alvin Kamara, where he's not a bell cow. He's seeding 50% of the carries to Elijah or Mark Ingram uh, in that role, uh, but still dominating snaps and like passing down usage. But then again, it could also just be the matchup. The Chargers ranked dead last in yards per carry. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if this was just very matchup focused uh, against one of the worst run defenses in football. And what we see moving forward is more of a 70-30 split in CMC's favor and a, maybe a more pass-heavy approach as well. That's very interesting. Yeah, they, uh, that's another team that is not on the main slate this next week, same as the Packers. So it's like, you know, from a standpoint of the main site, we actually get to collect a little bit more information. Although realistically, uncertainty is great for us in DFS because other people like to wait on information and we can kind of embrace that uncertainty ourselves. But, you know, my I think my biggest concern with CMC is you also have Debo, you also have Kittle, you also have Ayuk, um, and, and like these guys have to get some touches too. And so it's going to be hard for CMC to get eight, 10, 12 targets when typically they're going to throw the ball 30 or fewer times with Jimmy Garoppolo under center. And like with the way that they run this offense, I, I like, I look at it as like, this is, this is like a dream team offense, but it's horrible for fantasy because the price tags on these guys are so high. And yet there's not, there's not enough ball to go around on this offense. Um, but it's going to be interesting because I do think you're right. Like there's going to be spiked weeks from all these guys. There's going to be spiked games from Christian McCaffrey. Uh, that's really interesting about him having more XFP than Saquon Barkley last week. And that shows the power of targets, the power of touches close to the end zone. And even like, that was one of the things last week that was so challenging for me in picking running backs was it was like, who among these guys are going to score two touchdowns, right? Like the Giants weren't going to put Saquon in position to score two touchdowns. The Titans weren't going to be in position for Henry to score two touchdowns. The Saints weren't going to be in position for Kamara to score two touchdowns. And touchdowns are so valuable in fantasy. And that's one of the interesting things about Christian McCaffrey's on this 49ers team that, yes, he's going to be splitting the work a little bit more than some of these other guys, but the 49ers are also probably going to be scoring more points than some of these other – the offense some of these other guys are on. 
which has value in itself. And so, yeah, I do think that this will be an interesting team that, that, that stimulates some thoughts for me, what you said there, because it's less predictable. His down games are going to be farther down. But, like, Debo is still going to have a huge game at some point down the stretch. CMC is going to have a huge game at some point down the stretch. Potentially, Kittle is going to have a huge game at some point down the stretch. It's almost like you can mix and match these guys in tournaments because they'll be low-owned. And, and if, if you get the guy who hits, uh, you're in great shape. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I would just say I'm, I'm really worried about Debo, at least in redraft. Uh, in DFS, sure, like, he's going to have some slate-breaking games. But uh, my – you know, we heard this buzz all off season, like, oh, Brandon Ayuk might be the new wide receiver one. He's having an insane camp, insane camp. And then uh, just talking to my old PFF buddies who, you know, are watching every single play 10 times, uh, multiple of them have told me Brandon Ayuk looks incredible. Like he looks like one of the 15 best wide receivers, 10 best wide receivers in football. Uh, Debo looks different. He looks, you know, there were rumors of him being out of shape uh, in August, even in September, even, and uh, it, it just kind of doesn't look as dominant. But Ayuk, oh, Ayuk's incredible, and so um, I wouldn't be surprised if there's already been a changing of the guard there, at least in terms of volume. Man, those because, are bold, uh, bold words. I love it because I mean, he a lot of what he does seems a little redundant to CMC. You know, the short area targets, the yards after the catch, and also the the wide back roll. Um, so there's all that, but yeah, maybe it's a hot take. I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that that's great. And I think that as in terms of like pure wide receiver, it's probably accurate. Um, what's interesting is Ayuk was in the doghouse for so long last year, specifically because of his inability to practice well and his inability to like be a professional. And it was like, he got the message. I remember reading this off season about, um, about him and Fred Warner getting in a fight one day at training camp. And it was like, almost like Ayuk had become the leader of the offense. And, you know, Fred Warner was the leader of the defense. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. And it's just, it's, I mean, that team has an embarrassment of riches outside of the quarterback position, uh, but between Shanahan's play calling and, and scheme and design, and then the, the weapons that he has, they can get yards with the ball in their hands. Um, yeah. And uh, it's interesting. I'm with you on redraft. Like I think, if you could unload Debo for um, anything viable at this point, it'd be great to do that because other people can be waiting around saying like, oh yeah, but he's going to have a big game. Uh, but in DFS, it does feel like one of those guys who can still hit. It's almost like Devontae Smith, right? Nobody plays Devontae Smith because AJ Brown and Jalen Hurts and, and like, but realistically he can get six catches and put up 140 yards. Like those random things happen and you want to be there when they do. Um, that's all I have from this last week. Do you have any other thoughts from this last week? And if not, uh, I'm going to fire some thoughts at you for, for this next week. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, the, okay. This is actually pretty crazy. Eh? For starters, the bears are underdogs against the Falcons. It's on the road, but oh. bears against the Falcons, uh, Justin Fields, right? We know that the Falcons have a horrible pass defense. We know that they're much better against the run than they are against the pass. Not that they're scary, uh, they also have Dean Pease, who kind of Dean Pease's signature is he has these complex defenses that is difficult for an opponent to face if the defense is working well, but it's easy for the opponent to face if it's too complex for the players to grasp. So one thought I have here is Dean Pease could say, hey, let's just go straight zone defense and make sure that Justin Fields doesn't rip, rip us apart. Somehow teams don't do this often enough. They do it to Lamar Jackson these days. They're like, hey, let's just play zone. 
the Patriots didn't do it. The Patriots were like, hey, we'll play man coverage and, and whatever. But most teams, are they're just like, look, let's force this guy to dink and dunk his way down the field. Um, obviously, it's early in the week, but any thoughts on how the Falcons might approach that? Because uh, obviously the field is going to be hyped up to play Justin Field at, like, I think he's 7.6K in salary at this point. Um, is this a spot where, where it's like, hey, maybe this is a down – I mean, it could be a down game for him, just natural state of play, right? He could throw for 200 yards, rush for 60, and not get a rushing touchdown, and all of a sudden he's not a smash play. But uh, any thoughts on the, like, matchup itself? Uh, yeah, there's, there's also probably pace of play concerns. But just on paper, like, this is – a top three passing matchup, a top three running matchup for Justin Fields. Like what he's doing is unprecedented. It's the most rushing yards by any quarterback through a five game span ever. Uh, most design runs by any quarterback uh, over the span by a landslide. Uh, he looks amazing. He looks incredible. And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to make me overthink it. And I don't want to overthink it because uh uh, Justin Fields was my Exodia quarterback. It's like this thing I've been doing for years where it's like must draft player at each position. And so this was the guy who was like, listen, he has Josh Allen upside, but he's priced as a low end QB two. This is like just a no brainer must draft pick. And I got mocked for that. I got trashed for that. And I like, I was suicidal through the first four weeks of the season, but now we're here He's had a string of amazing matchups. And this is just like another amazing matchup on paper uh, that I want to just, you know, not overthink it and keep playing it. Uh, because like I've overthinked it before, like my, when I was all in on Lamar Jackson or uh, Jalen Hurts, like by like week three or week four, I'm like, oh, well, he's chalky. Um, but uh, yeah, I, Dean Pease is someone I have a lot of respect for. He's a really sharp coach. Uh, and and like you said, you know, Vegas, Vegas is sharp. So um, I don't know. needed dedicate a little bit more time to that i like that answer and i think that uh, you know this is one of those spots where ownership can kind of dictate our thoughts too if he's if he we, we can recognize that consistent 40 point DraftKings scores are just like not realistic and so if everybody is going to him in the mid 7ks we could recognize that even in a bad like if he's 20 percent owned you'd be like well i can play him but still go underweight the field right but if people are kind of like, oh, well, now he's a little overpriced and Vegas only has him implied for 23 points uh, on the road and, and he's like 6 7% owned, then it can be a spot where it's like, cool, I'll still play 10% of him, 15% of him. I'll still put him on my on my main build and take the upside. Uh, and I think that's probably how I'll approach things this week. But obviously, um, there's still time to let these things develop. Okay, we talked about cheap running backs and the willingness to go to cheap running backs in split backfields in order to have a different – Salary allocation, a different roster construction approach, maybe fit in two of these high-priced wide receivers where other people can't do that. Uh, this week, the Washington football team is playing the Texans. We saw Brian Robinson get, I think it was 26 carries last night. We saw Antonio Gibson add 14 carries on top of that. Uh, Brian Robinson is, I think he's 5.6K this week. He's had He's shown no burst, no ability to break long plays. Um, even in softer matchups, he's not cracking 100 yards. But we have to think that he's going to get 20-plus carries here against the Houston Texans. Uh, if he goes for 100 yards and a touchdown, that's getting you about 20 points right there. That's a guy who's probably going to be low-owned and can help you kind of do some different things with your roster. Any top-of-head thoughts with that? Yeah, I think he's a great play. I feel like you're going to tout Antonio Gibson and – 
Gibson's going to outscore him. Like on, on Friday, you're going to start touting Gibson and Gibson <laughs> does outscore him. But I think he's a great player for everything you just outlined. It's just like a perfect matchup and the volume's going to be there. And he's cheap. Yeah, you know, and uh, Antonio Gibson's another guy who's never really had big games. He had like a huge game on Thanksgiving in 2020. And even though it was a Thanksgiving slate and it was a, it was COVID year, there was no Thursday night game that week. So it was, there were only two games on that slate and Antonio Gibson was like 18% owned or something like that. Uh, and that was a game where he put up, you know, like 40 plus points. And I, and I think that was the week I faded Zeke who was super popular and played Antonio Gibson instead. And he put up like 40 plus points, but really like his ceiling throughout the rest of his career has been about 20, 23 points, something like that. So I'm always a little hesitant to pull the trigger on him, but then realistically at his price tag, I guess we'd be pretty happy with like 20 to 23 points, uh, allowing us to do some different things in other spots. Um, you on Bronco, Friday are going to be like, uh, he hasn't had a big play all season, but we know from his past, he can he break can do off it. big plays at, <laughs> at will. I'm like, this is the defense to do it again. So like first quarter, you know, a 60 rushing yard touchdown, that's certainly possible. And then maybe he keeps getting more work ahead of Brian Robinson because this guy has no explosion. And then he, he, he wins you a million. Those, those maybes can get you in trouble sometimes. Now I'm feeling yeah, pressure. Now, now I'm feeling pressure to go with those maybes on Friday this week, just to, just so I can be like, yep, Scott, you were right. Um, I mean, okay. you were on Raheem Mustard this week. So I was, I was on Raheem Mustard and Jeff Wilson. So that's, uh, okay. I mean, that's fair. Hey, um, maybe play both. Okay. Uh, Chiefs and Chargers are playing this week. Uh, any top of head thoughts there? You know, interesting thing about the Chiefs is that it's kind of unpredictable where the points are coming from for the wide receivers. Kadarius Tony, our boy, is seeing a little bit more work there. Uh, top of head thoughts, Chiefs and Chargers is going to be clearly like one of the games to target this next week. There's not a ton of high upside games outside of that one. Yeah, that's one of those games that just makes me wish I was an MME guy because I mean, on both sides, it's hard to figure out uh, who to stack the quarterbacks with. DeAndre Carter, is Keenan Allen going to play? Is he going to be on a snap count? Uh, Josh Palmer, yeah, people want to play Gerald Everett every single week for some reason. Austin Eckler, uh, Austin Eckler is crazy to me. Like His rushing yards per game, he ranks like 30th by receiving yards per game. He's barely above Alvin Kamara, but he's just destroying – all running backs and fantasy points per game, just on those receptions per game. And like, that's, that's important. That's something to factor in, but it's also a little game script uh, based on game script. Uh, and then, like you said, with Kansas city, like is Kadarius just like the Miko Hardman, they always wanted uh, Kelsey. Can he break the slate? Is he too expensive? Uh, Juju, is he finally healthy? He had like wide receiver one games and three straight before that injury. And, and yeah, so it's like, as a single entry builder, like how do you approach that? Yeah, I actually, I love that we have so many questions on the game of the week because that kind of tends to drive ownership away from it a little bit. And that is a difficult thing when you're building one roster. Um, I think I'm, gonna, I'm going with this MME approach. Oh, now that I've got my, wow, nice sneeze. Uh, now that I got my feet under me with uh, optimizer stuff, which by the way, that uh, I'm going to put that workshop together this week. So I'll send it to you when I, have it ready. It's going to be deeper in the weekend, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a good week for MME just from a standpoint of that's clearly the top game. And then there's going to be so many question marks on it that it's going to drive some people away. And then we can just say like, okay, let me take some losses on some rosters by trying to figure out where the wins are uh, on this team. Also uh, coming into the last week, Kansas city had faced the most running back targets, allowed the most 
running back receptions in the league. Uh, and so, you know, now Austin Eckler, definitely an interesting spot there. Um, last question. Broncos are playing the Raiders this week. Uh, only time we've seen the Broncos put up some points and only time we've seen Russell Wilson do anything was against the Raiders, but the Raiders also scored a bunch of points. And it's like the Nathaniel Hackett, has basically been like, hey, look, we won't open up the offense unless the opponent forces us to. Super, super smart way to play things. Uh, saw a stat the other day that the if the Broncos had scored just 18 points in every game this season, they'd be 8-1. and one. That means that they have been that incapable of scoring 18 points. But uh, passing matchup against the Raiders, looks like Jerry Judy will probably be out. So that makes them more one-dimensional, but also concentrates targets on Dulcich and on – Cortland Sutton. So any early week thoughts there on our, on our dead friend, Russell Wilson. Yeah, I've got, I've got almost nothing uh, except like I've been saying slot wide receivers against the Raiders. So it's a shame that Judy's going to be out. Who, who is there? I, I haven't looked at it, but I, you probably know um, who would their slot replacement be? Would that be Kendall Hinton? I have no idea. Uh, wasn't Hamler hurt this last week? And like Hinton was getting snapped. Should be Hamler. Should be Hamler. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. If Hamler is healthy and out there. Um, yeah. That's one of those offenses that I've been like hands off enough that I can't say exactly what's been going on. Uh, you know who I really like is Montreal Washington, but he would be playing on the perimeter. So not, not, um, not the guy I would be going to. They need a new quarterback and a new coach before I want to go to Montreal Washington, apparently. Um, yeah, no, I like that call on the slot wide receiver thing. And if that ends up, if Hamler's healthy, I don't even re- recall if he's on IR. Why, why do you like Montreal Washington? I like Montreal Washington. He like, there were a lot of good camp reports on him, like a guy who can hit for big plays and, um, you know, a guy who could maybe step in and have one of those random big games that nobody's expecting. The, the thing I know about you, like what you were famous for, at least early on is you would always play like a wide receiver who's 3,400, no one was on. And then he would have 10 targets out of nowhere and you were all over. You're like, why wasn't, why wasn't he cash? And that's what you're famous <laughs> for back with it. So now I'm worried about Montreal Washington. His, his name, no, he's, don't, don't be worried about Montreal Washington. Uh, he's not, he's not going to step in and see that work. But no, yeah, those finding those cheap wide receivers where the pricing psychology tells people like, oh, well, this guy's dangerous. And you're like, like Donovan Peoples-Jones was that way last week, right? I mean, this guy's seeing like six, seven targets every game. He's seeing a 5K wide receivers workload. And yet he's sitting down here at 4,200. So people are like, oh, this risky guy down here. It's like, no, he's not risky. Like people just don't want to play this guy because of his price tag. Um, yeah, no, Montreal Washington is not one of those. Maybe Paris Campbell is one of those. Uh, but I left that bandwagon a while ago. So, um, okay, that's everything I have for this week. Scott, you got any final thoughts before we get out of here? Or should I close this out? Close it out. All right. Thanks, as always, for hanging out. Scott, fun to hang out with you today. Sad that we missed last week. Uh, We will see you guys on Fantasy Points throughout the week. We'll see you on one-week season. We will see you back here next week. And we'll see you at the top of the leaderboards this weekend.